Welcome to uh, our class on Romans. Um, I, I've explained this a little bit already to those of you who were here, uh, but um, for posterity's sake and for those who came in um, a little bit later here, uh, we've got a little bit of experimenting that is going on, and uh, we're going to try to figure some things out. Uh, I have been recording on YouTube a, a video Bible study Wow, for a long time now. Um, I did the Ten Commandments, I did the Lord's Prayer, uh, and I am just finishing up a, a study on the birth and childhood of Jesus. Um, those are all available on the church's um, YouTube page. And uh, um, with this, uh, I didn't really want to play with video because um, it's a pain in the butt. Uh, plus, you know, an hour video takes a long time to, to upload. Um, I am pretty comfortable with using sound technology, though, and we are, we're going to use two microphones today. And uh, the one is right here, and it will record me very well. I don't know how much of you it will pick up. And that's why I have this other mic over here, uh, because I'm hoping that if there's any conversation, which I'm hoping there will be conversation, that this will pick that up and we'll be able to have that be as part of the full experience of the, uh, the, the, uh, um, the class or the, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, the study. Hey, we're going to need some more tables. Awesome, thank you. Uh, there are three chairs right here. You're kind of in the, uh, the hot spot there. If, Yeah, so they're going to get some more tables and, uh, um, right, but, you know, if, if some people are not comfortable with, the, you know, the, the, the whole social distancing thing, you know, you know, we'll see. All right, well, I think I'm going to pause this while we're getting that set up. Uh, you are more than welcome to bring coffee, obviously, yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, don't make any promises on that point. Um, I like to think that I'm fairly entertaining, but uh, who knows? <laughs> All right. If you need a handout, would you please raise your hand so that we can get those to you? So we got here. And I think Lisa had her hand up and we got the pockets. All right, thank you, Becca. Our opening prayer uh, is uh, from Psalm 119, and uh, we'll begin there. I'll, I'll just read it for today. O Lord, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep your testimonies, who seek you with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in your ways. 
You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that our ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then we will not be put to shame, having our eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. Then we will learn your righteous rules, and we will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake us for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, so we are going to start here into the, uh, the epistle to the Romans, but if you've ever had a class with me, you, you know that you can't just start into the book. We got to have to get a little bit of groundwork uh, before we step into the book. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing people who have been in my classes in the past. Um, and, uh, and if you haven't been, fear not, because uh, we'll, we'll make sure that we all get there. Uh, but um, first of all, Rome. Historic, right? Uh, what we are dealing with in terms of uh, uh, where Paul is writing, the people, where the people live that Paul is writing to. This is, this is the heart of the Roman Empire. And you're kind of at the height of the Roman Empire. You know, it might not be the actual apex of it, but, but this is when everything is really, you know, going tickety-boo as far as em emperors and, and, and those kinds of things. And, uh, um, and Paul is uh, a missionary. He's, he's sharing his hope uh, of Jesus all the way around the Mediterranean. Um, I say all the way around. He doesn't really get down on the African end, but he all around that um, uh, eastern, all the way to the northern edge, no, western to northern edge of, uh, of the Mediterranean. Probably writes it somewhere around 55 AD. Anybody know what year Paul died? Right around 60. So, you know, this is, this is toward the end of his life, the end of his career. Now, don't, don't necessarily think of this as, you know, oh, Paul's an old man, he's about to die. Paul died an unnatural death. Uh, he, he was executed. Uh, tradition tells us that he was beheaded uh, on, on the road, which was kind of symbolic uh, and intentional, you know, because he spent so much of his life on the road uh, sharing the gospel that uh, when they pronounced his, uh, his sentence, um, they said, yeah, we're going, to, we're going to have you executed right here on the road. Um, but uh, uh, there's a little bit of tradition and a little bit of, you know, we, we're not 100% sure about that. So this Paul guy, what do we know about him? He started out persecuting the church. Um, and he had a different name. Saul. Saul of Tarsus. He loved persecuting the church and he was good at it. Um, what else do we know about him? He was very well educated. He was educated as a Pharisee. Um, to give you an example of part of the education of a Pharisee, uh, a Pharisee was like a, uh, a religious sect, you know, a denomination. You might, it's not one-to-one, -one, but it's similar. Um, uh, part of the education that he would have had would be to memorize uh, the Bible. Not, not memorize like, you know, Bible verses, but particularly those first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, memorized. That's, that's the type of 
That's the type of education, the type of mind uh, that you're dealing with in, in Paul. What else do we know about him? We believe that he was single, yeah. Um, and, and his texts indicate that, although uh, there have been arguments that have been made that he was divorced, that his wife may have left him. But this is, again, on conjecture, you know, but, uh, but he was very much not married uh, as part of his, during his ministry. What else? A tent maker by trade. This is another interesting part of the life of the uh, religious leaders in, uh, in this time. Uh, you didn't just have your, uh, your theological acumen as, you know, to, to be your way of life. Uh, you had a trade. So if you were a rabbi, uh, you, you didn't just, you know, you know, know how to teach, you also um, had a skill. Uh, so for um, Saul of Tarsus, a.k.a. Paul, uh, it was making tents. Um, for another rabbi, a guy by the name of Jesus, do you remember what his uh, trade was? He was a carpenter, yeah. Uh, a builder, you know, might be a better way to translate that word. Not a lot of wood in the Middle East when you think about carpentry. Um, he was probably kind of a combination, you know, carpenter, mason, all-around builder. Okay, what else do you know about him? I'm sorry? Roman citizen, yes, thank you. Uh, hugely important. Uh, he bridges a gap. Not only is he a Pharisee, which makes him, you know, very much part of the Jewish community, he is a natural-born Roman citizen, which brings him a lot of rights and privileges uh, as he travels around uh, the Roman Empire proclaiming the gospel. And it provides him a lot of protection, which sometimes he accepts and sometimes he doesn't, but he often finds ways to use that to his advantage, which I think is a good lesson for us as Americans, because as American citizens, we have certain rights and privileges, right? And so to use those to God's glory, uh, to use them as part of our life as Christians, good and right. Okay? What else do you know? A thorn in his side, yes. Um, which we spend a lot of time wondering uh, what that exactly meant. Um, some people will refer to potentially a physical ailment um, because uh, he seems to have had a, a vision problem. Uh, we, we gather this because he, he mentions on one of his signatures to the letters, see how big my letters are. Like, you know, hey, that's proof. I'm blind, and that's how big my signature has to be for me to see it. Um, there's another uh, uh, reference in Galatians where he talks about their commitment to him, and he mentions this little strange phrase that, that it was an ailment that brought him to them in the first place, and he says, and you, I think you probably would have gouged out your eyes for me, in the sense of giving me your eyes, if they could have helped him in this way. So there's some, some idea that um, 
you know, there's some kind of a problem, uh, medical problem with his eyes. Uh, others think that uh, um, this is a spiritual temptation, probably dealing with pride. Um, you can detect some notes of, uh, of pride in some of his, uh, his epistles and letters, uh, and almost like a, a bragging type of a, of a way. Yes? It's a good question because, uh, um, so the question is, did, did, did Paul have eye problems before he made his fateful trip to Damascus where he was converted? Because basically uh, he's going there to persecute the church and God knocks him off of his horse and blinds him. And the question could be, you know, is that something that lingers from that? There's nothing to say yes or no to that. You know, um, we do know that, uh, that uh, God sent a, um, a representative, a guy uh, by the name of Ananias, to speak the gospel to him, to lay his hands on them and heal him, and that something like scales fell off of his eyes, uh, and that he could see after that, uh, but, you know, don't know. But n not unreasonable to think that. Yeah. Oh, uh, we'll schedule counseling later. Just <laughs> what else do we know about Paul? Yeah, he seems to uh, had a vision where he saw heaven. And, you know, he speaks of these levels of heaven, um, and, uh, you know, yeah, he, he, he was given uh, some pretty keen insight into the things of God. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah, so much of his ministry is in partnership with others. Uh, you mentioned Barnabas. Barnabas is the one who brings him into the, the public life of the church. You can imagine that even though um, Saul converted to Christianity, he changes his name to Paul, and that like the larger church body is a little bit skeptical of this guy. You know, yeah, it, and that, that carries with him. And so Barnabas, uh, whose name means son of encouragement, uh, he, he comes alongside uh, Paul, brings him into the church, brings him into ministry, and they work as a partnership. And then there's a rift there uh, dealing with a, a nephew who flaked out on one of the missionary journeys, a guy by the name of Mark, wrote another book in the Bible. Um, and uh, um, that kind of hinders that relationship. They decide to go in different directions. But Paul brings other people into the mix with him. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Timothy, a guy by the name of Titus. Um, you recognize those as names of books in the Bible. Uh, there was a doctor by the name of Luke 
who traveled with, with Paul. And, and he would teach them the faith. And the other thing that Paul did a lot was when he would come into a community, he would establish the church, or better maybe to say that the Spirit would establish the church through his ministry there, and then they would appoint leaders, pastors, teachers, and he would begin their training. And part of the continuing of that training are the letters that he wrote, letters that make up most of the New Testament. All right, anything else that comes to mind about Paul that you might say, this is something we need to make sure that we know about him before we... Yeah, an executive of sorts and good administrative skills. Um, that being said, you know, he only really stayed in two places for any significant period of time, uh, Corinth and Ephesus. Other than that, you know, he's kind of in, get things set up, and off. So, Yeah. That had to be what? It, it, it was a little bit unusual, um, and, uh, and, and not even necessarily the, the, the Jewish part of it. Um, when you look at Roman citizenship, uh, it was something that you were born into, and that's like the gold standard. But other people were trying to find other routes into Roman citizenship, and you could actually, uh, through service in the military, uh, become a citizen. Uh, you could purchase citizenship if you had enough money. Um, for Paul, it happened to be that uh, his father was Roman and his mother was Jewish. And, you know, so you have kind of this uh, ethnically split family, and, I mean, that happens. And, uh, um, and he got kind of the benefits of both. Yeah. Yeah, well, he actually talks about that in, in, in one of his letters, you know. Um, but yeah, he suffered for his ministry. And, and that is actually one of the things that God says when, uh, when he came to faith, because uh, Ananias did not want to come and share the gospel with him. Tangent, because that's what I do. Old Testament lesson from Jonah today, Right? For those of you who are at early service, you know this. The rest of you just go, yep, it is. Um, Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh because he doesn't want them to have God's salvation. In fact, if you, it's kind of interesting. If you read the book of Jonah, everybody in Jonah repents except for Jonah. You know, everybody experiences God's grace in Jonah, except Jonah. 
I mean, he, he gets God's grace and God does these wonderful things for him, but he, he's just like, meh, it's no good. That's kind of Ananias' response to, you know, hey, I want you to tell this guy about Jesus. He's like, whoa, God, whoa, time out. Don't you know what this guy did? He persecutes your church. In fact, that's the whole reason he's here. He's come here to arrest us. <laughs> and God's like, uh, yeah, I do know, and I've chosen him. I've called him, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So yeah, shipwrecks, um, stoned. Not like, you know, marijuana stoned, but like with rocks. Um, and some people think that he may have actually died and been raised uh, you know, after being stoned. Um, beaten, which was against the law, to beat a Roman citizen, uh, in chains, uh, all, all, you know, exposed to the elements, you know, all of this. And uh, all of that for the sake of being able to carry the message of the gospel uh, to the world. So if you would like to look more closely at the life of Paul, um, Right there underneath where it says, what do we know about St. Paul? You've got a series of scripture passages, and uh, you can take those at your leisure. Uh, If you you read those kind of roughly in order, um, you'll get a little bit of a biography of him and of his life. Um, Interestingly, when you look at at history and writing about uh, biographies about people, the one person who is written about in terms of life and, and, and meaning, uh, number one is Jesus. Vying closely for two and three, St. Paul and Martin Luther. I mean, the, the, that's the kind of the significance of, of, of a guy like Paul. I mean, it, when you look at the history of the world, We're used to dealing with St. Paul because, you know, he, he's the one who passes on the faith and he's the one who teaches us about Jesus in so many ways. But he's not just significant for Christians. He's significant in the way that the world thinks. He's foundational uh, for the philosophy of the modern world. Uh, and, uh, and maybe some of that has eroded over the last 50 years or whatever, but a lot of how we understand things like justice and government, you know, it, it, it gets rooted in the things that he taught. So he's not just, he's not just this religious guy. There, there's significance that goes even beyond that. So Romans is one of Paul's long letters. There are three of them. Uh, there's Romans, and then there's First and Second Corinthians. These are by far the longest letters that he wrote. Um, Paul was a, a, a pastor and an evangelist in, in Corinth for a period of time. He was there for several years. And when you read First and Second Corinthians, these are the letters of a pastor dealing with a congregation that's full of trouble. You know, and he's like, what are you doing? And there's confrontation and there's correction in, in those letters. Um, 
there's a lot of really good stuff in there that's, you know, very meaningful even to today. But when Paul wrote to the Romans, he hadn't been there yet. So, Paul, so this letter reads very differently. Uh, this, this epistle, this, this letter, um, is in some ways his introduction of himself to them and of his teaching to them. So he, he's saying, you know, hey, you've heard of me, because pretty much everybody had. You know, that's, that's how famous he was at the time. You know, no Twitter, no Facebook, but, you know, people have heard of him all over the place because he's causing such a stir, um, you know, proclaiming the gospel out in the world, which changes things. It challenges uh, the systems of power in the world. And, and when you challenge systems of power, people will notice. Um, and uh, uh, he writes this to say, you know, this, well, to say two things. One is, this is what I believe, and this is what, what the, um, God wants you to know uh, about salvation and, and the life of faith. And the other is, hey, I'm hoping to come your way. And when I come your way, I'm hoping you're going to help me further down the road on my next missionary journey. Amy. Uh, the letter is written to the church at Rome. And uh, we don't know who brought the gospel to Rome. Uh, but there was already an established church there. And there has been conversation, there has been connection. Um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila uh, were also tent makers, a husband and wife team. Uh, were from Rome and they traveled with Paul for a period of time uh, as partners in ministry, but also in, as business partners. And, uh, and so he's familiar with what's going on there, even though he's never been there. And there are others who have come out of this Roman church that he's been connected to. And he's like, I need to come there and to be able to preach the gospel there. And, uh, um, but there's already, somebody's told people about Jesus there. Yeah, and, uh, and we don't know. I mean, there are all kinds of traditions about people that, uh, that came to faith. Um, Mrs. Pilate. Uh, some people believe that Pontius Pilate himself later in life came to faith. Um, the Roman centurion. You know, uh, the centurion that he healed his, uh, um, uh, his servant. Jesus healed the servant. Uh, Peter early on um, preaches the gospel to Cornelius. And uh, you know, so this is a Roman household. There are lots of ways it could have gotten there. Uh, in, in fact, when you think about Pentecost itself, it says that there were people from Rome. You know, that whole world. Somebody came there and shared Jesus. And then there were relationships that got back to Paul to say, the church is there. And so, you know, he, he writes to them, and, and I'm sure that very much in his mind is how do we make sure that this church has the proper preaching and uh, teaching of the gospel. 
So yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because he wasn't there. He didn't, he didn't establish it or anything like that. What about them? It's possible. We, we really lose track of the, the apostles. Um, yeah. Absolutely. You know, we just don't know how. It makes sense that it got there. And does it make sense that perhaps one of the apostles went there? Sure. Um, does it make sense that uh, um, somebody just heard the gospel and they came back and they told their family about it? Yeah. Yeah, because it's not apostles that bring people to faith. It's the Holy Spirit. And he works when and where it pleases him and how it pleases him. When you look at the, you're talking about the apostles themselves, or are you talking about? I'm talking about everybody that was in the upper room. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, but when you look at like the apostles, it seems like most of them actually stuck pretty close to Jerusalem uh, until that first persecution. In fact, there was, the church seemed to be pretty strongly centered in Jerusalem until persecution hit, and then, boom, all out. Yeah, Dave. Uh, well, it, it depends upon whether you want Peter to be, you know, the bishop of Rome or not, you know, and the head of the church. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, when you read Acts about, you know, Peter's ministry, you know, he does seem to eventually end up in Rome. Uh, and uh, like Paul, he seems, it seems that he probably died there. And tradition tells us that he was crucified uh, the, it's said that it was requested that he would be crucified upside down. Crucifixion doesn't really work that way, so I don't know, you know, it's, it's not scripture, so I, I feel okay kind of questioning it. Um, but, uh, um, but, you know, Peter is a very significant part of getting the gospel to uh, the Gentiles. He, you know, he's the first one to go um, to well, he goes to Cornelius, a Roman uh, centurion. He is bad-mouthed for this. He is questioned and accused because there is a belief in the church at the time that this is only for Jewish people. And uh, he's like, uh, excuse me, but I just went there and I told them about Jesus. And you know how the Holy Spirit came on us at Pentecost and like shook the place and everything? Same kind of thing. Speaking in tongues and uh, I'm pretty sure that the Holy Spirit did that and uh, that God is accepting all people. And, and so he, he does play a very significant role of moving the church in that direction to be welcoming to Gentile believers. Not that that ended the conversation because Paul has to fight this too across his career. You know, xenophobia is not new. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because it's good news. And, and it's not like us saying, oh, well, they went and they told. So that's one of the ways that it would have gotten through. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the, how it spread throughout the world. Um, one of the things we need to know about Paul is that he is technically not a writer. He is an orator. Uh, this is something that... Uh, we have rather lost in our culture the ability to take a cogent thought and expand upon it verbally over a period of time. Um, I like to think that I know my stuff. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, you see this when I preach. I'm looking down you know, at, at what I've written there. People in Paul's day, they didn't step up with notes. Um, Paul could. Right, but there were, there were definitely people. But this was, this was part of how they were trained. They were trained to think differently in, in the way that they processed their thoughts. And, and Paul is properly an orator. And so when you think of these letters like Romans being written really the image that you have to have is Paul standing there talking and somebody else sitting there writing down what he is saying. I think so. Try reading them in Greek because it's just like, well, where does this go? Does that connect? It's... It's crazy. And I do think it's because he's speaking. And um, I'll get right with you. And, and this is something that, that I think that we experienced this week. Um, uh, Amanda Gorman, the, the poet at uh, President Biden's um, uh, inauguration. Do you really think that that poem would have had the same impact if they just kind of put it on the screen and let it scroll through and then you just read it? It's meant to be heard. And I think that that's part of, of you know, why it's important for us to read these you know, in, in public worship and maybe even in a broader way to, to read whole books aloud. Um, this is something that I, I, I'm seeing on the Lutheran Hour a lot, that they go through long sections of Scripture aloud. Now, they're not just reading it from, you know, the, the, the pastors, they're, they're, they're looking at the text and they're, they're massaging, you know, bringing their translation and their understanding into what's... But it is this larger conversation, taking the Word and listening to it. But yeah, when you start writing that stuff down, you know, where do you put the period? Where do you put the comma? And it gets a little bit nuts. Jeremiah and what? Oh, okay. You know, I mean, there was a tradition of 
Yes. Yeah, you know, and, and setting it to music helps to, to memorize. But this is an important part of our tradition as Lutherans. You know, for those of us who grew up memorizing the catechism, you know, those parts after the, you know, the Apostles' Creed, the explanations, those are not short little segments, are they? But uh, having those things tucked away in our minds is actually very valuable and it's 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 something that uh, uh, sadly we i don't know that we've completely lost it but we've we've lost major portions of that and uh and i don't say that critically of of anyone more than criticizing myself you know but it's you know getting people to memorize things is very difficult it's very countercultural right now yeah. Not to pivot away from Paul, we were still going there. You're good. Um, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you will. <laughs> but I'll do it politely. This, this book was very important to Martin Luther and his uh, you know, yeah. revelations as far as. Hugely important for the Reformation. Um, it was in translating Romans that. that Martin Luther discovers the gospel. You know, he, uh, he for the first time, recognizes uh, something very important about how you come to have a right relationship with God and that it has nothing to do with his performance. Uh, and that is really the theme of this whole book, uh, something that we would call righteousness. But this book has been hugely important, you know, for all kinds of, of people, all kinds of Christians in, in coming to their relationship with God. Um, uh, I believe it was Charles Wesley uh, writes about reading Romans and uh, um, it says that he was strangely warmed. Now, we hear strangely warmed and it's like, ooh, that felt strange. But that's not what that means. Uh, it's the old English uh, warmed by something outside of myself. And that was one of his you know, conversion moments to say that uh, uh, you know, God was working through the word from the outside to, to transform him. But for Luther, uh, it was very much this idea of a righteousness that comes by faith. And when you look at the book of Romans, um, righteousness is the key word. That is the theme that carries through the whole thing. It is the thread that binds it all together. So, what is righteousness? What, what comes to mind when you hear that? Righteousness. No wrong answers. Obedience, Obedience okay. Being right with God, Being right with God okay. The law. Say it again, Mike. The law, the law okay. What's that? 
faithfulness, okay. Holiness. I think that what we will find as we go through the book is that these are all kind of facets of the righteousness that, that Paul speaks about in, in a, a variety of ways uh, in the book. Yeah. So if, if you couldn't hear Sharon, basically what she was saying is that there, there, a good analogy would be like a diamond where you have all of these facets and you know, the way the light hits it is going to bring forward different aspects of righteousness, you know, holiness, faithfulness, obedience, all of these things, love, uh, are all, all part of this. Now, this isn't the first letter that has righteousness as kind of its key theme. Galatians uh, also is very focused on this issue of righteousness. But Galatia is another one of those places that Paul actually went, and he has a relationship with them. And so when he writes to them, this book has a very different tone than Romans. Romans tends to be very thoughtful and I'm not saying there's like no passion in it or anything like that, but it, it tends to be much more, uh, I'm teaching here. Galatians is, what is wrong with you knuckleheads? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yes, I, yeah, he's talking about circumcision and the people who are teaching that it's necessary. He's like, if that knife would just slip just a little bit. Not kind. <laughs> Yes. So we're, we're going to find that Paul is going to deal with righteousness in at least three different ways here. Um, there is a, uh, a recognition of a righteousness that has to deal with how one lives your life. You know, we might call this civic righteousness. There is a sense of right and wrong uh, in, in terms of how you deal with your neighbor you know, and anybody and everybody can recognize that no matter what it is that they might believe. You know, there, there's this commonality um, that 
I believe that that comes from the fact that God has written his law on our hearts. You know, no matter how buried that is, there is this sense that there is such a thing as right and wrong in the world. And anybody who says, you know, I don't believe in right and wrong, steal their car. You know, when you scratch it hard enough, you know, there will be a recognition. So that, that's one. There's this idea of civic righteousness. Yes. Right. But that's actually a different kind of righteousness. Yes. Right. And, and so when you look at Roman culture, there is very much um, a, a sense of, of law and, and you have right and wrong, and this is how you conduct yourself in a whole variety of different relationships. Um, and just, you know, even, even just the sense of, you know, the, the empire has an emperor who is God, uh, but there are also laws, and even the emperor is subject to the laws. You know, and, and so it's really all about how do you live your life rightly, and, and so that's really the first thing that he's going, you know, well, the first place that we might experience righteousness. And he's dealing with a context that's very much steeped in this is the type of righteousness. It's all about how you live. But he's going to introduce them to a different righteousness. It's a righteousness that comes by faith. Um, you might call it an imputed righteousness or a declared righteousness. It's a righteousness that's like um, when you stand before the judge and the judge gives the verdict and says innocent. Or like back in, in the day before um, instant replay in baseball, what the umpire, what the umpire says goes, right? You know, um, you know it, it, it doesn't matter if the ball got there first or not. If the umpire says safe or out, you are either safe or out. And this type of righteousness, this, this righteousness that comes by faith, is really the, the theme of the first mm, 12, at least, chapters of the book. Uh, and then that righteousness that comes by faith, and, and we're going to we're gonna be talking about, you know, digging into this much more deeply. So, you know, if you're like, wait, 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 wait. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get there. It might take us a while, but we're going to get there. Um, that then impacts how you live. Having experienced the righteousness that comes by faith, you begin to live in that righteousness, and it impacts your relationships with other people. You know, so... This takes us, in some ways, back to where I started in Psalm 19, Psalm 119, you know, where it talks about, uh, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. He's not looking to learn the righteous rules in order to be able to, you know, please God. He is living in a relationship with God where he is forgiven 
and therefore his life is different, lived according to God's righteous rules. I'm going to throw Psalm 119 into the beginning of each of these, and we're just going to kind of keep working through uh, this psalm as our, our opening prayer. Uh, so when you look at the book, I've got an outline for the letter there. You can basically break it into four parts. You have an introduction. You have this part that's really focused on the righteousness that comes by faith, which is going to be very counter to the culture that, that um, Paul is speaking to there in Rome. Rome is very performative. And now all of a sudden, righteousness is about a gift that God gives. It's something that somebody does for you. And then he's going to look at how does one live in that righteousness? And then conclude the letter. Oddly, he puts most of his greetings at the, the end of the letter, and there's a little bit of a doxology there. So, before I wrap things up, anything else that... Uh, All right, so you are all adults in this room. All of the, the age of majority. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of hoping some of the high schoolers will start coming to this too. But uh, um, you know what that means? It means I can't tell you what to do. <laughs> However, I have some suggested homework for you. Here's the thing. I am a big believer that you um, get out of things what you put into them. And uh, I also believe that uh, yeah, you know, if you, if you want to you know, learn and grow, that means you know, your time and effort on your time with your effort. Um, so these are my suggestions for the next week. Uh, if you have time, uh, read Romans, 16 chapters. Um, if you have time to do it in one sitting, it is one letter. You know, I mean, imagine getting a letter from, uh, from your mom or something like that, uh, that, uh, you know, is this really, really long thing, but, you know, you haven't heard from her for a long time. Um, yeah, I'll read the first four lines and set that down. I'll come back to it tomorrow. That's not how that goes. Um, if you don't have time to read the whole book, please read chapter one. That's what we will be focused on next week. Um, up to you, but you could take some time to skim through those passages from Acts to get a better understanding of Paul and his life and ministry. Um, the book ends with him in Rome, but not the way that he planned to get there. I'll just leave that at that. Um, spend some time thinking about what you hope to get out of this study. You know, what, why, are, why are you here? What, what are you hoping that, that uh, this will do for you? Um, and then pray and ask God what he hopes you will get out of this study. Uh, have a conversation about something that you learned, remembered, or found important about Romans. You know, when we talk about the things that, that we are learning, 
you know, or relearning or remembering. It, it kind of helps to solidify them. So, you know, some of you are, are family groups, you know, have a little conversation about this later. You know, what did you get out of that? Nothing. Triton was awful. Okay. Um, but I'd be willing to bet that there was something that you either, you know, learned for the first time or you remembered or was like, boy, that's something really important that I want to make sure I have tucked away. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that if you felt that this was worth your time, invite somebody to join the study. It's not too late. Um, I will be sending out an uh, email uh, later with the, the audio and uh, a link to the, uh, the sheet. Um, share it on social media if, this is, if it's worth it. And if it's not, that's okay. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, if, if this is something that, you know, you find valuable, I think it's reasonable to think that somebody else might too. All right. One last opportunity, comments and questions before we pray. Once, twice. Not clear. I'll, I'll look a little bit more closely at that. Um, he, okay, I'm thinking about the end of the letter. He is, uh, he is getting ready to take, it's at the end of his third missionary journey, and he is getting ready to take the offering back to Jerusalem. So where he is on the road, I don't know, uh, but that's, so Paul has three missionary journeys, and uh, um, he pretty freely travels all around what we would call Turkey and um, at least uh, Eastern Europe, uh, Greece, uh, for the, the, those, those journeys, and the wheels kind of fall off at uh, his return to Jerusalem at the end of the third, which, if you were to read the Acts stuff, you'd get all of that, what happened there. So, yeah, thank you. All right. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we could gather today, and we ask, Lord, that your word would work in us, that we might know your righteousness. Uh, the righteousness that is, has everything to do with who you are and your holiness and also this righteousness that you give to us through faith in Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand these things more deeply and to live in them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, folks. Um, the Bibles... Uh, they've been stacking them over there. I encourage you to bring your own Bible, honestly. Um, I, am a, I am a write-in-your-Bible person. Uh, so take your notes and the like.